Good morning. It's good to see everybody out this this morning, especially our visitors. We're thankful that you're here and taking time to be with us. And we invite you back at each and every opportunity that you have uh, to be with us. It's amazing what you could come up with when you Google certain things. I Googled, how far is it to hell? And I said, uh, the answer came back 1,163 miles. And that was from Earth to hell. And I thought, how do they know that? Well, there's a place called Earth that they measured over to uh, hell. So I continued on, and I wanted to know how much hell cost. And thought, well, what would I come up with? Or what kind of answer would I receive? Well, it took me to hell, Michigan. About 39 miles from this building is a city called, or a town called, Hell. And as of the year 2000, there were about 266 people that lived in that town. And usually that town, if you live around here, is mentioned in the news when it's cold, freezing cold outside and there's snow and ice, and for obvious reasons, it's mentioned in the weather. There is an ice cream place called Scream's Ice Cream and Hello or Halloween Store. There's ice cream in Hell, Michigan. For a hundred dollar fee, you can pay to be mayor for Hell of Hell for one day. And for nine dollars and ninety nine cents, you can even purchase your very own square inch of Hell. And the property ownership comes with a non-warranty deed. Now I imagine they do those things for laughs. And I've read where people go there and they have a good time and they enjoy themselves. And I get what they're trying to do. They're going and saying things like that for laughs and for people to get excited and have a good time. And that doesn't bother me as long as people are doing good things. But as fun as a visit to hell Michigan might be, the real hell is not a place anything like hell Michigan. There's not going to be they're not going to be selling ice cream and souvenirs in the eternal hell. And it's not going to be a place where you can have a great time and a fun time and enjoy yourself. Because nobody's going to be laughing when the day of judgment comes. And a lot of people will go to the real hell for eternity. In fact, the Bible tells us that the majority of people are going to be lost and they're going to end up in that place of torment. Jesus describes hell as a fire of furnace in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. He describes it as a place of torment in Luke chapter 16 and verse 23. It's a place of everlasting punishment in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. And by the way, when I was looking this up, someone had a YouTube out there talking about hell isn't for eternity. Well, it says that it's eternal punishment. The Bible tells us that. Jesus tells us that. It tells us that Jesus tells us it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that there'll be wailing. 
And as we can see in this story that we read this morning, that there will be cries for mercy which will not be answered. If I could tell you that I know of a place that you could go where all of these things were go- took place, where there was a furnace of fire and, and, and torment and, and weeping and wailing, and you could go there on vacation, how many volunteers would there be to go there? I would imagine no one would want to go to a place like that. Why? Because hell is scary. When you read about it in the Bible, it's not a place you want to go to. It's a place of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm dieth not. And it is an undying fire and a place of eternal fire. In fact, I'm not even sure we can comprehend how awful that place is. But it's a place that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. And so if we are lost, that's where we will be. The book of Revelation describes it as a lake of fire, as being a place of brimstone, smoke, torment, and unrest. The Bible contains warnings for us that we don't want to go there. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, you see there a picture of the judgment scene on that final great day when we stand before our Lord and answer for our lives. The life that we lived here on this earth. And in verse 15 of Revelation verse tw- or chapter 20, He says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake of fire. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? To know that if you're not living faithful to God that and have your name written in the book of life, that you could be lost. And you could end up in this place that we're talking about. Can you imagine what hell's like? And when we talk about hell, that's not a popular subject. You may be here and you may be saying, oh, I should have went somewhere else today because I don't want to hear about this topic. I don't like this topic. This topic makes me uncomfortable. Well, you're not the only one. Because there was a survey done by Gallup back in 2009 They found that 86% of Americans believe in heaven. And most thought that they were going there. And only 69% of those that were interviewed believed in hell. And just one half of 1% of Americans expected to go to hell when they die. Only half of 1%. So you can see hell's not very popular. Hell is a horrible place. You don't want to go there. And of course, that's the whole reason that Jesus described hell in such terms because you don't want to go there. And He doesn't want you to go there. So why did Jesus stress hell so much? He talked about hell more than He talked about heaven. 
Well, I came across a comment about hell by a prominent atheist named Richard Dawkins. He says the fear of hell is a very powerful motivation. Now, he's an atheist. Remember that. He's an atheist, so he doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe that it exists. What Dawkins does believe is that the church has used hell to motivate people to become Christians. And I'm sure the church has. It should motivate people to become Christians. And he was right that it is a powerful motivator, and it should be. The thought of being in hell should motivate us to want to avoid it. You know, we go out of the way when we know that there's construction on a road and there's going to be traffic backed up and you're going to have to wait for miles. You try to avoid that area and go around it as much as possible. There are other situations in our lives that we deal with from time to time that we try to avoid or we go around or we figure out a way so we don't have to deal with the situation. Hell motivates many people to change their life. And so hell is a powerful motivator. And that's why Jesus used it. That's why His apostles used it. Now what's interesting is that Jesus didn't talk about hell with just anybody. You think about that for a moment. He didn't mention hell to the woman at the well. She was a woman who had five husbands and the one that she was living with then was not her own. You might have thought that that would have been the perfect time to say, hey, if you don't change your ways, you're going to hell. But He didn't. He didn't mention hell to Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, hated by most people. And that would have been a perfect time that if he was guilty of charging more than he should have and taking things that he shouldn't have, that would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say, if you don't change your ways, you're going to hell. And even the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery that was dragged before him, he didn't tell her that she was going to hell. Now, we know from other passages of Scripture that those were guilty, or those that were guilty of those things that they were doing, that's where they were going to end up. But I think Jesus is trying to show us there's a time and a place to talk about it. In Matthew chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 5 through 12, we can find there where the centurion came to Jesus and wanted his servant healed. He said, I'm, I, I don't want you to even come to my house because I'm unworthy. And that centurion was a, uh, most likely a Gentile. And as a Roman soldier, most likely guilty of idol worship. But Jesus didn't mention hell to him that that's where he would end up if he didn't change. He did admire his faith because the centurion said, speak the word and it will be done. You don't have to come. 
And Jesus did mention hell on that occasion, but not for the centurion, but for those who should have known who he was. Those were the people you would have expected Jesus to mention hell. You would think that Jesus would confront sinners with hell in order to convince them to change. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus focused his talks about hell on mostly those that were religious people. You might say they were religiously comfortable. The Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. It says, Ye, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Here was individuals that knew the law, they knew what it was, they knew what it said, but yet they were forcing it on other people, but yet they weren't living in it themselves. They thought that all was well, that they were safe. You know, we're good people. And since we're good people, we can do what we want to do. And Jesus is telling them, guess what? If you don't change, you're going to go to hell. He talked to people that came just to listen to His sermons. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned of hell to those Jews in His crowd that day. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29-30, through 30, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it out of thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling people, guess what? You could end up in hell and there's things in this life that can help you get there. Take care of those things. Don't allow those things to cause you to sin in such a way that you're lost forever. And so my question this morning is, why would Jesus focus on those who were religiously comfortable? You can find the Pharisees mentioned many different places. Whereas basically, look at me, look how good I am, look at them, how bad they are. And maybe Jesus focused on the religiously comfortable Maybe he did that because they were the people that needed to hear it the most. You see, sometimes righteous people are the meanest and rudest people in the world. You may not agree with that, but think about it. Have you ever listened to a waitress or a waiter in a restaurant? Many times you'll hear them talking about the Sunday crowd. They don't like the Sunday crowd because they're so rude. They're not nice. Hopefully no one in our group here is like that. We shouldn't be, but yet that's the way we are sometimes. Get angry, do things, say things that we shouldn't say and do. 
One person described those types of people as those that are wearing a cross necklace and then judging other people and being rude. You ever had somebody angry while you're driving down the road honking a horn at you or you know, waving to you in that way? They get by you and they got that fish on the back of their car. What are you telling the world? And there's been people like that back in the days of the early church. You see, Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. And he listed the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, enemies, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Were there people there on that occasion that Paul was addressing that were guilty of some of those things? He had told them before, and now he's telling them again. If you do these things, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If you do those things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they would go to hell. And most likely some of them were living like that. Look at the church at Corinth. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Did they have some of those things going on at the church of Corinth? They did. Go back to chapter 5 and you can read about it. You can read about the, their worldliness. They were still carnal, Paul said. I believe that's in chapter 4. They had division in chapter 1. You can see all the problems that they had but yet they were Christians. But again, if they were guilty of doing those things in those verses, they weren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Why would a Christian live like that? Why would a Christian behave so badly because we become religiously comfortable. And we just think God will overlook it. Or we'll just ask Him to forgive us and it'll be okay. Sometimes we feel like we've arrived in our faith. We believe that we're shoe-ins for heaven. We don't have to be too conscious of what we say and what we do and where we go and how we act. We think that God will look the other way. 
And so God reminds us. He reminds us. Don't push it. There is a hell. And you can end up there. Do you think that we could become too comfortable in our relationship with God? That we take too much for granted? That's why Jesus warned His followers about hell. They and we need to realize what's at stake. That we need to live holy lives. That we need to be faithful to our Lord. We're striving to be righteous. And God's Word tells us and guides us in how to be a righteous person. And don't ever think that you've got to the point where we don't need the blood of Christ. Or that we can take that blood for granted that it's always there and it will always cleanse us. We need to realize that we must never take our relationship with God for granted and think that we can live however we please because we've been saved. Yeah, there's a doctrine out there in the religious world that says once you're saved, you're always saved. And you can't be lost. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. If we're guilty of those things mentioned there in Galatians and 1 Corinthians, if we're guilty of those things, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And there's other lists that we can look at. But God and Christ warns us so that you and I can avoid hell. It's like you turn on the television and you hear that traffic jam. You might want to avoid it. You might want to go around it. We don't want to go to hell. You see, it doesn't work where we get to take our relationship with God for granted. Some of the spies were down here looking at one of my props this morning. They seen my prop. It's a smoke detector. I used it in a sermon before to make my point. Hell is a warning for us It's like this smoke detector. It goes off. And plug your ears because I'm going to set it off. Maybe. I'm not cooking. It's pretty annoying, isn't it? So how long you got to make the point? Until you all get it. Be glad I'm not doing it in front of the microphone. Now, usually a smoke detector goes off when it detects smoke in the house. And there have been times, you know, where the, our smoke detector at our house has gone off, not because there's a fire uh, or the house is burning down, but because somebody's cooking something in the kitchen. And there's smoke. And when that smoke it hits that detector, we've got multiple ones in our house and they all go off. And there's only two ways to stop it. See, you can get up there and you can push the button. You can pull a chair over, get up there and push the button. And as long as there's smoke, it's going to go off again. And you can push it again. And if there's still smoke, it's going to go off again. And so there's only two things that you could do to stop it. 
You can yank it off the wall and you can walk over to the window and throw it off the backyard. Or you can do what a lot of other people do. Take the cover off and take the batteries out and it'll stop going off. We've all heard in the news of people doing things like that. Removing the battery, which we should never do. But they don't put it back in. Because they don't want to be alarmed by that silly noise. They don't want the tr- they don't want to be troubled by that annoying sound in their ears. And I think that all of us would admit that it is very annoying. What's kind of funny about it is if you've ever listened to some of the studies, they show that when the alarms go off, many times people sleep through it. So maybe you've slept through it this morning. And that's what we do also sometimes. We sleep through the warnings that God has given us to try to keep us on that straight and narrow path so that we can make it to heaven. So that we can have heaven as our home. But you hear of people that put the, take the batteries out, they don't put them back in because they don't like the sound, they don't want to be annoyed. And then, guess what? When their house catches on fire, they don't get warned. And sometimes they perish in the fire. And the fire chief will say, they had smoke detectors, but they've taken the batteries out. I believe that that's what Jesus is doing when He's warning us about hell. He's being the smoke alarm. He's telling us that if we do certain things, if you, you, you don't follow Me, then you can end up lost. And I think we all understand that this could save your life. It could save your house because if you detect the smoke and you call the fire department and they can get there in time, maybe they can save your house or figure out what's wrong. And Jesus is warning people that they're going to go to a place of torment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal punishment. Think about it. If Jesus hadn't warned us about an eternal hell, why should we bother to change our lives? I mean, I'm sure there are some people who think, I like to sin. I enjoy it. I want to live the way I want to live. So what if I die and I don't go to heaven? I didn't want to go there anyways. And I'm sure that there are some that think that when they die, they're just going to the grave and that's it. I'm sure that's what atheists would believe since they don't believe in heaven or hell. That it's all over once you're dead. Why bother believing in Jesus? Why bother repenting of your sins and turning away and putting your trust and faith in Christ Jesus? But you know, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We can find in various places of Scripture that we need to change our lives, that we are all lost, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
As we see in, in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And that's why we need to repent. Because we know that we've done things that are contrary to God's will, that we haven't lived faithful to our Lord, and He wants us to change. And He's telling us this so that we can change and that we can have a home in heaven with Him. But there are people that would say, why bother to repent? Why bother to be baptized into Christ? Why bother going down in that water and coming up a new creature? Well, because we've all come short of the glory of God. You see, in hell, it's there that when we think about hell that the equation changes. Suddenly, life gets serious when you think about hell. That you're going to have to give an answer for your life. And if there was no one around to warn us of that reality, we may wake up from being dead to a major surprise. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about a little town not too far from here called Hell, Michigan. And I told you that for $9.99, you could buy one square inch of that property in hell. But I don't have to buy any property in hell because there's room for all of us. And it's quite possible that I already own property in hell. As we see in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that we've all fall short of the glory of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, you look out there, you see people that are lost. Guess what? There was a time when we were lost. If you're a Christian, we, we were all lost. Colossians chapter 1, and verse 21, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. You see, in other words, none of us deserve heaven. We deserve to go to hell. In Matthew chapter 25, we see a picture of the judgment. In verse 41, it says, And they say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We've all messed up. We've all sinned and fallen short of what we should be. We didn't have to pay to go to hell. There's a place there if we don't change our ways. And we can end up there. Those that have never obeyed the gospel will end up there if they don't change. And as Christians, if we don't remain faithful, we'll end up there also. And so Jesus warns us. And that's what Jesus did. When He died on the cross, He interceded. He bought us a place in heaven. In John chapter 14, He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those who are prepared to meet him on that day. Those of us that remain faithful will have a home in heaven. Those of us who are unfaithful will be lost. Jesus did that because He cares. And we've been talking over the last few lessons about does God care? And yes, He does. And I think that when we look at what Jesus did on the cross and what God sent Him here to do, we see that He cares. We've seen that God reigns. He's still in control. The things that He teaches us in His Word 2,000 years ago are still true today. And we still have to be obedient to it. And you may argue that it's archaic and it's old-fashioned and we don't need to do those things. God says we do. If we want to go to heaven, if we want that mansion, then we have to do what our Lord tells us to do. And we know He cares. And He cares for you. Here's the question. The question is this. Do you care for Him? Do you care that He did all of that so that you could avoid that awful place? Do you care that He gave His life on the cross so that you don't have to go to the devil's hell? Do you care that He loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that you could have life eternal? That's the question. You see, hell is the ultimate rejection that we can face because we've done things we shouldn't have done. But the good news is this. God doesn't want you to go there. That should bring joy to all of our hearts to know that He doesn't want us to go there and He's made provisions so you don't have to go there. But is what God done for you, is that enough to motivate you to surrender your life to Him and be buried with our Lord in baptism, to have your sins washed away by that precious blood of Jesus. The invitation is yours. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row if you need to respond as together we stand and sing.